Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous broadcast, I was speaking about Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, where it says, Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. And in the previous broadcast, I was emphasizing the importance of recognizing that it says here that we are strengthened by grace. It is not the law of God that strengthens us. And he used the example of foods, which, of course, I believe refers to the dietary laws, or at least that's how I believe this phrase would be utilized, especially when speaking to Hebrews, that the Hebrews would make an association with a phrase like that with the dietary laws, those of which, of course, were definitely something that occupied people, and there was an assumption that people would certainly benefit from their observance to those laws. Now, I do, of course, recognize that there certainly are some physical benefits to observing the dietary laws, but what I'm referring to is not that. I am referring to the spiritual benefits that people generally assume they will be able to obtain as God responds to them because of their obedience to his commandments, to his laws. So in the previous program, I was explaining the importance of being strengthened by grace and the fact that we are strengthened only by his grace, and that the law will never strengthen us. There is an assumption quite often that people make that if we know the differences between good and evil as is defined by the law, then if we live in obedience to that which is good and we repent from those things that are evil, then we will then become strong. But I explained very clearly in the previous program, or at least I believe it was very clearly, I explained that the needs of an individual person need to be addressed And when I refer to the needs of an individual, I'm referring to the need to be loved and to be accepted, to have a sense of meaning and understanding and purpose in our lives, that there are some fundamental needs that are within us that need to be met. And if we do not meet those needs, then there is no inner strength because there is no inner peace, because there is no inner fulfillment, because quite likely there is no indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who will fulfill the deepest needs of your heart through the indwelling filling presence of him within you, he will not fulfill your deepest needs, and so as a result, nothing else will transpire from there. And so it's very necessary, it's absolutely necessary to receive the Holy Spirit of your God to indwell within you, and in addition to that, it's absolutely necessary to receive the very character of God towards you, to receive his inheritance that he has given to you, to receive the abundance of his love for you, because it's only through what you receive from him freely are you going to be able to be fulfilled in the deepest part of your being and strengthened from there? And so that's what I was explaining in the previous broadcast. And today, I'd like to focus on a different aspect of verse 9. And that has to do with the notion of strange teachings or strange doctrines. That's found at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, where it says, Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. 
Now, when reading the rest of the verse, he refers to the grace of God that strengthens us and not foods, which I'm going to assume has to do with the dietary laws. And he follows it up with issues concerning the altar and the tabernacle. And then in verse 11 makes reference to animals who are brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin. In this broadcast, what I really want to focus on is this notion, the idea that the varied and strange teachings have to do with the law that they have to do with the Mosaic Law. Now, when saying that, you have to understand the Hebraic context in order to appreciate what I just said when describing the Law or the Mosaic Law as a strange teaching. You really have to understand this from a Hebraic point of view in order to appreciate this. Otherwise, this is the case. What happens is, is that in the Gentile world, with people who really do not have much of an understanding of the Law, or its purpose in our lives, why God gave the law. The reason why people struggle with this notion so much when I present it is because people really believe, they really do believe that the Lord, their God, gave laws to them in order to get their sin under control and in order to instruct them and guide them and lead them in their Christian life. That's the issue. The reason why what I said concerning strange doctrines can be so difficult for people to understand is because people make an assumption that the law was given so that you would know what sin is, so that you can avoid sin or say no to sin, and in that way you can live as God wants you to live. And this is what makes things strange. This makes things very strange. Let me put it to you this way. People make the assumption that because the law says do not murder, that people will then not murder. That that is a way of getting people under control, for example, or keeping people in line or keeping people in check. Or because the law says whatever you do, do not eat a bacon double cheeseburger. Then in that way, no one will ever have a desire to eat a bacon double cheeseburger. When people assume that the law means that or that it was given for that reason, then really what they are doing is they are following the doctrines of the devil. It was the devil who said in the Garden of Eden that if you only know what is good and evil, then you can be like God. Or in this context, you can be like Jesus. Or what would Jesus do? Or you can be a good Christian which is to be like Jesus, who is God manifested in the flesh, which is to be like God. It really is the same message. It's just been conveyed using different words in order to make it a little bit more appealing to a particular classification or group of people. But the fact of the matter is is that people still govern their lives on the basis of what is good or evil, right or wrong, and they make their decisions in their daily life accordingly. And I'm going to say that that is a strange doctrine or a strange teaching because the Lord did not give the law for that reason. Satan tried to give the law for that reason. I did four hours on the subject of spiritual warfare where I talk about this in more detail. I'm going to defer you to that. Instead, I'm just going to follow through with the notion that this was the message of the devil. God never gave us that message. He gave us a different message. His message, when he gave his contribution to mankind's greatest effort to try to be like God through their repentance and obedience, when he gave his contribution towards this great effort in order to demonstrate to us that the devil was telling a lie, which most people still don't believe, but in order to demonstrate to us that the devil was not telling the truth, he put in his addition, he put in his contribution, he presented his law through Moses. But he did not say 
that you would be able to live in obedience to all the commandments. He just simply gave them and said, give it your best effort. Give it your best shot. Oh, and by the way, if you succeed, if you succeed in living in obedience to all the commandments, then he did not say you will be like him. He did not say you will be holy or righteous. He didn't really say that. What he said was, was that he would bless you. And so people will take that and say that this is the appropriate teaching, that we need to have the law in our lives because this is the way that we can be blessed by God. All right, so that's another step further. Instead of so that we can be as God wants us to be, instead of that, we'll say so that we can be blessed by him. Well, according to the law, he said very clearly that you have to obey all of the commandments Otherwise, you will be cursed instead of blessed. No one is going to obey all of the commandments, and so everyone who attempts will be cursed as opposed to being blessed. So this is why it becomes a strange teaching or a strange doctrine, and that is from a Hebrew's point of view. We know, we know, if we've come to the point of recognizing that we have the need for the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, then we know full well that there's no way that we can possibly live in obedience to all of the commandments. And so if we know that, then it would be very strange. It would be very different. It would be very unusual. It would be totally wrong to assume that the law was given for a different reason, for a reason such as you can now be blessed, when we know full well that you cannot be blessed, you can only be cursed. To use it for the purpose of saying, I can be a good Christian, is definitely strange, because that's not the reason why God gave the law. Now, of course, those who are not familiar with the law, as I was saying a little bit earlier, those who are not familiar with the law and the purpose of the law, can easily be deceived into pursuing a life of the law, believing that that's how they're supposed to live their Christian life. But for those of us, and if you don't know, then you can always go into the law and study it yourself as well. For those who have taken the time to study the law and to study the gospel and to realize that there's nothing wrong with the law, there's something deeply wrong with us and that there is no way we can live in obedience to it, for us to assume that we can or to take a posture that we can, not just the law of Moses in its fullness, but even a subset of it, or even a part of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave, all of that was given for the same reason, and that was to show us that we have a need for the mercy of God. But what is so strange that people take it and say, oh no, there's another reason, there's a different reason. You see, we can now we can now appropriate that because now we can be blessed. Well, no, you can't, because you're not going to obey all of the commandments. Or we say something like, well, you can now obtain rewards in heaven. Well, no, you can't. That's a strange doctrine. That's very strange. That's very odd. That's very deceptive because our God never gave the law for that reason. That's not why he gave it again. And so to use it for a purpose that our God never intended it to be used for makes it strange. And I believe that that's what the writer is referring to here in Hebrews. Now, let's just pick on the dietary laws for a moment, because that's what he refers to here in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. What he says here is that people are occupied, but they're not benefited by foods, by obedience to dietary laws, if I make that assumption. They may be very much occupied with these things, but they're not benefited. And the reason why I believe he would say that again, is because the dietary laws were given for a different reason than to just benefit us personally. 
we can benefit from them, but they were given for a different reason, and that was explained to me in Acts chapter 10 and in Acts chapter 11, which was to show that the Jew and the Gentile can be reunited, can be reunited to be one in Christ Jesus. He first used the dietary laws in order to separate the Jew from the Gentile, and then he used the dietary laws to reunite the Jew with the Gentile when the new covenant went into effect. When we take these laws and we use them for a different purpose besides that, when we do that, then it becomes strange. It becomes wrong. It becomes a strange teaching, a strange doctrine. It's something that is foreign to the intent of our God. Now, there are other laws that I can give you examples of concerning this. In fact, just about every law I can refer to in its own way. Let's try the Sabbath law. He doesn't refer to that here, but I did talk about it in Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, I spoke an awful lot about the Sabbath law, and in addition to that, I have done a few hours on the Sabbath law. I did three hours on audio CD that you can obtain, or you can download those files off of my radio archive. The Sabbath law was given for a very important reason, and it had nothing to do with getting us to rest one day a week. If that was the case, we could do that on Tuesday or Wednesday. wouldn't make any difference. The reason why he gave the Sabbath law was to foreshadow our resting in Christ Jesus because of what he has done for us, that we rest from our own works, our own works of righteousness, just as he rested from his works when he created the heavens and the earth. That's the fulfillment of the Sabbath law. In this case, what I prefer to call it is a foreshadowing that there was a foreshadowing that has now been revealed, and in that sense, a fulfillment has occurred, that the shadow has been revealed, and that is that the Sabbath law was given so that we would see that we have to rest from all of our works, not the works in the flesh, but the works in the spirit, the works in the heart, the works of trying to obtain or sustain our right standing with our God by our own repentance and obedience. That is what we must rest from, otherwise we fail to enter into the rest that he has given to us in the new covenant, just as the Israelites failed to enter into the rest of the promised land. That's what the Sabbath law was for, and so to use it, if that's the case, to use it for a different purpose, to use it for another purpose that our God did not intend it to be used for, is to introduce a strange doctrine, a strange teaching. Let me put it to you this way. In the New Covenant, when we say that a person has to live in obedience to the Sabbath law, you've got to ask the reason why. Why does a person need to live in obedience to the Sabbath law? Well, there is no reason why. Because if a person fails to live in obedience to the Sabbath law, there is no penalty that's going to be imposed on him by God. There is no penalty that can be imposed on him because Jesus took all of the penalty for all of the sin throughout the entire course of human history. So there is no penalty, so there is no reason to be obedient if you are wanting to avoid the penalty of God, because there isn't any. And so there is no reason to observe that. There is no purpose in that, in terms of your relationship between you and your God. Now, if we were to talk about another commandment, such as do not murder or do not steal, look, I can understand that. You do that, you're going to experience some significant consequences. And perhaps the Lord may intervene at times and he may impose some consequences. 
I have no idea. He may even do that for the Sabbath law. But my point is, is that according to the new covenant, according to the absolute covenant that we have, the sin issue between us and our God came to an end. And so the law has no authority in anyone's life, has no place in anyone's life anymore. Except, of course, for those people who want the law. And if you'd like the law, then by all means, go ahead. Give it your best effort. Give it your best shot. But I'm going to tell you flat out that you can occupy yourself with all of that all you want, and you are not going to benefit at all, because there is nothing that any of that will do for you. You will not benefit at all. Now, let me acknowledge something, and that is that you may believe that you are benefiting. You may believe that, but that doesn't mean you really are. That just means that you believe it and you've been deceived, because I believe you will just simply be absolutely deceived. Even if you find a way, miraculously, to obey every single commandment, what is that? All that is is an opportunity for you to have a tremendous amount of religious pride. That's all you've got. You still don't know your God. You don't know him at all. And if you don't know him, then you have not benefited, as far as he's concerned, at all. So that's why I say that the law can be used for a purpose that would be considered to be a strange doctrine. And that is to use the law for a purpose that it was never intended for. Let me give you another interesting example. Sometimes people want to use the law in order to measure themselves. They want to use that in order to show themselves or perhaps show others just how much faith they really have. You know, some people have that attitude of, you know, if I've got faith, then I can demonstrate it by my obedience to God. If I love God, if I believe God, then I am going to repent from my sins and obey Him because I want to show Him that I appreciate Him, because I want to show Him how much I love Him, because I want Him to be pleased with me. People come up with all kinds of excuses concerning that. And I, of course, did a wonderful series called Overcoming Sin that addresses all of those excuses, and I explain very clearly why I believe all of those are really totally evil. And I gave some very good examples that explain that in detail. So don't just take my word for it that it's evil. Go listen to the examples and you decide for yourself. You think about those examples that I gave in order to demonstrate the excuses that people give. Look, the Lord gave us the law, the dietary laws, all of the laws. He gave us commandments and laws in order to do a number of things. The first thing that he gave it for was to show us how depraved we really are. He gave us the commandments in order to demonstrate to us that we have the need for the mercy of God. He did not give them to us so that we can do a bunch of good works, a bunch of good deeds, and then hold the law up to ourselves and say, look how awesome we are. No, absolutely not. If anyone ever comes to me and says, I want to show you my faith by the list of works that I did this week, then you know what I'm going to hear? I'm going to hear that... This person has absolutely no faith because of all the works that they failed to do that week. You see, it's not just what you think you've done. It's also all the failures. It's also all of the sin. You've got to do it all. If you want to lay a claim like that, you've got to do it all. Look, I would never go before somebody and say, Hey, let me show you my works and so you can see that I have faith in God. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. There is no way that I could possibly say that to somebody. But I tell you, I can definitely say it is a miracle of God that a work of God has been done within and through me in the midst of my lack of faith. I do have faith, but I have a lack of faith as well. And it's a miracle. It's a wonder of God. 
perhaps even a sign that he managed to find a way to do something within and through me. But there are a lot of people who just don't have that belief. They don't have that attitude, unless, of course, I confront them in the way that I'm speaking right now. Then they'll shape up, at least for another day or two, maybe, and then they forget about it. But there are a lot of people who stand up and say, let me show you how good my faith is. And you know what? For somebody who does not know God, who does not know his law, who does not know righteousness, for somebody who doesn't know any of that, you might really impress them. But for somebody like me, I want you to know that I'm going to be totally disgusted with you. Totally disgusted. Because I know full well that you fall short as well. And so until you get it all right... Don't come to me with that kind of an attitude, because that shows nothing more to me than religious pride. And that's what people are using the law for. They're not using it in order to demonstrate to themselves or to others that they need God's mercy. Oh, no, no. They use it in order to demonstrate that they have faith. And that, to me, is evil. It's just downright evil, because their faith is totally weak. It is totally empty. Because if it was to be the case in that way, then they would have to do it all. Because that's what God said. Your God has never suggested that you just need to try. Or you just need to give it a partial effort of some kind. He never said that. You're the one who said that. That's what makes it strange. That's what makes it totally out of place. That's what makes it something that you may be occupied with, but you'll never really benefit from. You may be deceived into thinking that you're benefiting, but that's only because you don't know the true benefit of the grace of God and what it can truly do for you. Because if you did, then you would know better. But evidently, you don't know any better. You really don't. The law was given for other reasons. It was given for reasons such as the foreshadowings that I described in comparison with the Sabbath law, that there are important truths that have been revealed to us in the New Covenant that were foreshadowed by the old. But we don't live in the shadows. We live in the reality that was foreshadowed by the law. And I gave the example of the Sabbath law. The law was given in order to provide prophetic inferences concerning how the Messiah would accomplish the salvation that we have right now. You can consider Passover as an example. And I spoke about this on accounting for the three days and three nights and the message that I did on the Lord's Supper. Those are some good examples that explain how the Passover laws were given in order to provide a prophetic inference, a prophetic message that would eventually be fulfilled by the coming and by the accomplishments of the Messiah. So there are many reasons why the law was given. Use the law for the reasons that God gave. Because when you use it for a reason other than why our God gave, if you try to use the law for a purpose that it was not intended for, then you have violated this verse, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, by introducing varied and strange teachings, strange doctrines that have no place in the new covenant, no place there at all, because you have completely taken away the purpose and the intent of the law For the lost, so that people can be drawn to Jesus to be saved, and then walk in a newness of life, being strengthened by his grace and mercy, not by his commandments or his laws. Consider what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, where he spoke at what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And why would he say that? He wouldn't say that because of what they did, because they made claims concerning what they did, their obedience, their repentance, that there were things that they did on his behalf, prophecy, casting out demons, performing many miracles. To the Jewish mind at that time, to, to the Hebrews' mind at that time, when they say things like that, all of those things are specific items that have to do with specific categories of commandments, specific contexts of obedience, which is difficult to explain unless you understand more about Pharisaical Judaism. And so please just bear with me. At this point, I'm just going to assume that you would have an understanding concerning that because I believe that the letter that was written to the Hebrews was written to the Hebrews and they'd be able to figure this out if I was to explain this to them. So I'm giving it my best effort concerning that. That the Lord said, you who practice lawlessness, you are the ones who are going to be cast out of his presence that he never knew. And it's not because of what they did, it's because of what they didn't do. It's not because of their successes, it would be because of their failures. And I believe that's what he's referring to. He's referring not to the fact that they may have done some works of God. He's referring to the fact that they would have not done all of the works of God. They would have not done all of the works of righteousness. That they would have failed in some respect. And he doesn't need to say where they failed. He doesn't need to explain that. We know because of the condition of humanity that we cannot live in full and complete obedience to the Mosaic Law. And those who believe they can are totally deceived. But in the context of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 9, the point is, is that people are introducing strange doctrines in the context of introducing the law of Moses or parts of it to use these parts or to use the law for a purpose that it was not intended for, assuming that it is to be used in the life of a new believer who has entered into the new covenant and it just doesn't have any place in our lives at all. And so if a person wants to assert their position or present evidence concerning their faith that would be descriptive of repentance and obedience, then this is just religious pride. And it's an individual who fits into this category that I believe the Lord Jesus is referring to in the Sermon on the Mount. And I will continue in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net thank you